Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CJ160, Punishment, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 270, July the 3rd, 1992. This evening, Otto Scott, Douglas Murray, Mark Rushduni, and myself will discuss a very controversial subject, punishment. We live in a time when punishment in any form is regarded as very, very wrong. We have a situation whereby any parent spanking his child, let alone a teacher, is liable to be arrested for child abuse. That uh, depriving a child of anything uh, as a punishment is also child abuse. And we have the spectacle recently when John Gotti, the criminal syndicate leader, was sentenced of a mob outside protesting it, and the leader of the mob saying, John Gotti has a constitutional right to be innocent. So punishment is regarded with horror today. And as a result, we have more and more flagrant behavior uh, in every area of life. For example, when I was young, tennis was referred to as the sport of kings. It was a gentleman's game. It was conducted with a courtliness, and everything was done to make sure that uh, the proprieties were maintained. Now, the players are abusive of the referee. They are foul-mouthed. And this is a part of the appeal of the game to many, apparently, who go to watch these matches. And we are seeing a decline in baseball of referees who are ready to lower the boom on players because what used to be commonplace is now regarded as too strict a discipline. So, in one area after another, we're seeing the decline of punishment for offenses that should be punished, and a feeling that punishment somehow represents a retrogression to a primitive level and is unchristian. Well, with that uh, brief introduction, Otto, would you like to comment on it? Well, it's a mixed bag. We're not supposed to punish children. And uh, yet, the, and the courts are in a peculiar situation where we see in Texas thousand-year sentences and 500-year sentences. And in other parts of the country, we see similar not quite as bad, but very savage sentencing. 
At the same time, we see criminal defendants who are convicted, not sent to jail at all, but given community service. Now, I don't know what community service is. Uh, social work, apparently, and the idea that a convicted felon should do social work as punishment is a pretty, pretty peculiar one. But that's come into the courts. I have a book at home which I haven't read yet, uh, written by a professor who took part in a group study which led to certain new federal guidelines and punishments being established. They've taken away, to a very great extent, the ability of federal judges to sentence according to their own whim and put uh, parameters on sentencing for various crimes. And in the course of setting these up, which have now been established, they were established as of last November, they have included in there punishments for corporate executives whose corporations have committed environmental crimes. Not errors, mind you, but crimes and they intend to put highly placed senior executives in penitentiary for these misdemeanors or whatever they are. So the whole question of punishment has become scrambled. It's very hard to define what constitutes punishment today. We have, uh, for instance, we have illegal punishments which were applied by groups against individuals who may offend a group. So then they become blacklisted, become persecuted, become ostracized, become ruined. And this is conducted in the private sector without any word from the authorities because the groups are too powerful to interfere with. So at, while, while, while the rhetoric is against punishment, the reality is that punishments are actually expanding. Very interesting point. Well, I think most people's perception now is that it's, punishment is no longer based on the law because people don't know what the law is. There's so many laws being passed at the rate of 3,000 a year in California and thousands and thousands of laws around the country. Nobody really knows anymore when they're breaking the law. I mean, virtually anything you do, uh, there's a law somewhere that says that, says that you can't do it. So the punishment now is based more on the prevailing government agenda. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, if the prevailing government agenda is a liberal program uh, on the environment, then uh, they forget about the law. It's arbitrarily and capriciously uh, applied in order to force people to accept a particular agenda. It's well, just like the, you know, uh, Oliver North's uh, uh, being uh, tried on the Bowen Amendment, you know. Which wasn't a law. It wasn't a law. But because, you know, it was a political uh, hatchet job, uh, but that was the, the prevailing agenda that uh, they wanted to put across. So it doesn't mean anything. The law doesn't mean anything except what they say it does. And judges, of course, will you know, candidly say that. You know, 
the law is what we say it is, not what's written on the books. Who was who a congressman, uh, Hanson in Idaho? Yeah. Who was convicted of a crime that didn't carry a penalty? Right. He was he was sentenced and went to jail. He was put in prison for a crime that on the books and the law did not carry penalty. He was put in prison for doing what all the other congressmen did for, uh, without penalty. Apropos of what you said about how many laws there are and not being able to know the law, the, the uh, a whole other area of punishment now, and one of the most um, you know fearful is liability and, and, and lawsuits. You can be punished whether or not you've done anything, whether or not you've even violated a law, if someone sues you and the sympathies are with the other party, uh, you can be punished because a, a jury feels sympathetic to someone else, whether or not you violated a law. Well, a lawsuit's a lottery ticket. I mean, that's the way people look at it. Chance to make some money. Chance to make some money. It's pure greed. Mm -hmm. And the legal profession goes along with it because they get their cut. Well, one of the interesting things related to punishment that I have encountered of late was a half sentence in something I read that spoke about the uh, paintings in churches depicting the Last Judgment and Hell. And the writer in passing said that, well, as the modern person sees this as a way that the church terrified its parishioners, the parishioners in actuality usually saw it as a reassuring thing. It meant that there was justice in the universe. And uh, it may have terrified some. I know that uh, King Boris of Bulgaria, who was an ungodly man, happened to spot such a painting in a church and was filled with terror, and he couldn't wait to hunt up a priest and make a confession and uh, become a member. However, most people in a world where injustice surrounded them found those paintings reassuring. It meant that there was an ultimate justice that prevailed. Well, punishment without justice becomes tyranny, but punishment with justice is one of the most necessary things for man. Everything in our being craves for it. We want justice. This is why the old-time Western was so popular, because there was a clear-cut line between good and evil, and the bad guy got punished. And there was something satisfying about that. It made people feel good to go and see one of the old Westerners at a movie theater, or to see it on television. Now, of course, everything is done to... Uh, befuddle the distinction between good and evil. Well, they take away the catharsis. Yes. They'll have a fellow committing misdeeds all through the film, and then at the end he's shot. And that's the end of the film. Well, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. 
I want to see him go on trial, I want to see him convicted, and I want to see him punished. Well, Dorothy has commented on the collapse of good murder mysteries. In Agatha Christie's stories, the murderer is an evil person. You may not know it at the beginning, but you know it before it's over. And you welcome their uncovering and the judgment upon them. Surely. Now, the uh, murderer is vindicated in too many stories by a lot of psychological claptrap so that uh, the line between good and evil, justice and injustice, is destroyed. Well, there's that, and there's also something else. And that is that the difference between the good guys and the bad guys gets to be very minute. Yes. The good guys are as bad as the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an even worse thing. Yeah. Because you, before you get through watching the, the show, you really don't care who did it. You'd want to see them all punished. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the anti-hero. Especially the producer. <laughs> that was the era of the anti-hero that came along with the Clint Eastwood genre in films. Yes. Well, of course, the liberals thought that Eastwood was a villain because he was shooting the bad guys, and you shouldn't shoot bad guys. <laughs> you should find out why they're bad and find out the cause of their badness. Incidentally, it was an interesting item on the news tonight that there has been a suggestion that uh, missing fathers who are delinquent in their payments, child support payments, should be turned over to the IRS, and the IRS should undertake the collections. And one of the uh, individuals interviewed in this particular uh, segment that actually what is going on is a form of civil disobedience. Many of these men feel that they were mistreated in the courts and mistreated by their divorced wives in terms of visitation rights and the rest and that just simply go on strike. The idea of being thrown out and told that now you can make payments for so many more years is not going over too well. So that there's a social problem there which has not been properly addressed. And that comes up into the whole question of uh, punishment because I suppose punishment talks about the, the treatment and mistreatment of people. Mm -hmm. What is proper treatment, what is improper treatment? Well, I see that the courts now are, are uh, men are suing their wives if their wives make big money and they split up, the men are now suing their wives for payments. Payments. Well, apparently, according to California law, whatever is accrued to the marriage is community property, so they would split that property upon divorce, irrespective of gender. When we get into this irrespective of gender area, though, we're in something else. Uh, it generally seems to mean irrespective of male gender. <laughs> well, of course, one of the areas where the loss of sound punishment has been uh, tragic, has been in public education. When I started school at the beginning of the 20s, 
the principle had a length of rubber hose that was used on the back side of any misbehaving child. And when a child was, I think I've mentioned this before, sent to the office, all the teachers were notified. They must have had a buzzer system because they opened the door and you could hear that uh, kid wailing before the first uh, blow. And uh, all up and down the halls, it echoed. <laughs> Everybody was in line. The idea of punishment is uh, a healthy one. It meant that the schools were disciplined and the children learned to respect that discipline. There's nothing like that now. As I recall it, my, my uh, experience was more that your family would discipline you, and you were disciplined by the time you got to school. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing was that you didn't pass unless you passed. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I remember in the sixth grade in uh, New York City, there were fellows there that had mustaches. <laughs> they had been held back until <laughs> they were at shaving age. <laughs> and, yes. and they had no intention of passing either, by the way. They just sat in the back. But the, I think the question comes up in capital punishments. I mean, the, this, uh, the latest execution in California, there was a large crowd outside protesting. Uh, he had killed, I think, four people. That's a lot of people. And uh, still people thought that he should not be executed. Harris, is that his name? Yes, Robert Owen Harris. They gave him his middle name all the time as though he was a dignitary. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, such people may have felt that... Uh, Harris should not be executed, but I'm afraid, Otto, some of them feel that you and I should be, and others as well, because they're savagely intolerant to everyone on our side, to everyone who's a Christian. We are regarded as fascists. We are regarded as evil because we believe in justice in a biblical sense, because we hold to moral standards other than their own. Well, of course, it always depends upon whose ox is gored yes. when it comes to capital crimes. Uh, I think, this, I think it was one of the greatest ir ironies of recent history is that the Soviets, for decades, argued that they had no capital punishment and everybody knows that they were, they had cemeteries all over that country. Yes. But at that time, you couldn't say anything about it in polite society. And it's very interesting to note that nothing is said about it now. No. And that the individuals who protested and were anti-communist some years ago, instead of being honored today, are treated with the same contempt as before. Yes. You know, it, it would be interesting to go back through the records and find out uh, when capital punishment is used to see if it only happens in an election year over the past 20 years. You know, the next four executions in California are 
uh, murderers who are black, and uh, nobody is taking any bets that there's going to be any more executions between now and the election. Well, that's a subject that's interesting because there's been much said about the fact that there are more blacks convicted of murder than there are whites, as though they didn't commit more murders than whites. Mm -hmm. And as though the implication is that even if they do, they shouldn't be executed because they're black. Yeah, but the st statistics are is that they're there because they killed blacks, and you would think that the black community would be yelling for justice. I would think so. Well, they, when a black is up for uh, trial, uh, work to keep other blacks off the jury because they know the blacks will favor the death penalty. Well, they, they suffer the most. Yes. I'm surprised that they haven't organized as a community or as a group to do something about their greatest crime. Uh, I do see on the film from time to time efforts to clean out a neighborhood and things like that, but they seem, they're showing women and uh, just people marching up and down the street. It doesn't seem to me to be very well organized or very serious. They're in a difficult bind because they face a very savage hostility. This is why some black churches in inner city areas have high uh, cyclone fences with barbed wire at the top surrounding them. They face all kinds of vandalism from their own people. Their leaders have uh, abandoned them. Yes. This is part of something which nobody wants to say out loud, and that is the myth that it is the duty of the white race to take care of the black race. It is not. The Sacramento Union recently had a black columnist uh, speak very bluntly against Jesse Jackson. And the result was a flood of mail from black readers supporting him and what he said and saying they were so glad to see someone speak out that way. We know recently we all lost a freedom which everybody takes for granted and that's to be tried by a jury of your peers. They just passed a law recently that no one can be excluded from a jury because of race or uh, ethnic background. So what is the definition of your peer? Well, there isn't any. In the American language, we don't have peers. That's from the English. Mm -hmm. A peer in England is a lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lord can only be tried by other lords. Uh, we don't have any lords. Yeah, but a jury of your peers is someone of your same no, social and economic no, it, level, isn't that's it? That's what it once meant. That's what it, that's what it once meant, but since we are, have no peers, we're all commoners. Mm -hmm. So therefore, any group of citizens is our peer. It was after the 50s that the new meaning of peers came in, or the destruction of the meaning of peers. And the lawyer told me at his 
hard now to have a jury of your peers unless you're a Skid Row character. Well, you have people who have time to be on juries. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> Anne was on a jury in San Diego, and she said that it was her arguments which brought in an innocent verdict. And she was appalled at the level of the discussion. In the beginning of the discussion, they automatically were going to find the fellow guilty because he'd been arrested. <laughs> On the assumption that if he hadn't done something, he wouldn't have been arrested. Well, when you have an absence of uh, moral education in a culture, when the people have no Christian faith, how are they going to be able to discriminate? Well, they can't. In fact, they've been told that they shouldn't. Yes. Well, right. Strike another blow for the public school system. The kids are not taught to think for themselves. Well, they're taught to go along with the crowd, and they're taught to find out what the crowd thinks very uh, in various ways, and they get to be very shrewd at that, not to stand out and not to be alone. The I don't know what's going on in the military today. I'm sure it's pretty terrible but uh, because it's been politicized. But I know that at sea, we only had 30 men, uh, 38 men on the merchant vessel, and... Every man, of course, has got assigned uh, position. They have so many ordinaries and so many able seamen. You have one boatswain and three mates and that sort of thing. Uh, some idiot judge in Chicago gave us two juvenile delinquents on one vessel I was on. He thought that was the proper thing to do, so I was stuck with him. I was acting boatswain. And uh, I remember that there was a... I, there was a barrel with some oil, heavy oil in it. I came upon these two kids, and they weren't doing their work on deck, so I took the stopper out of the barrel and let this oil go glug, glug, glug on this clean deck, and then I said, clean it up. And they said, you, you kid, you're not serious. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, we can always put you in irons. And I'll come back in an hour or so, and if you're... If it's, there, if it's not cleaned up, uh, I'll, I'll show you some things. So they cleaned it up, and I did it to them again. And uh, we went through various episodes of that type. Finally, they straightened out and seemed to be fairly decent. At the end of the vessel, when we were paid off, then, of course, all authority comes to an end. And as I, got, I went down the gangway with my suitcase, I saw them waiting for me. And I didn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> and they came over and said, would you come and have a drink with us, Boston? <laughs> greatest relief that I could ever remember. They thought it was wonderful. Yeah. They thought it was wonderful. They were proud of themselves. They'd made the trip. They were all gung-ho to go again. Oh, I can remember as a child in... Uh, Detroit, uh, mother is saying that uh, sometimes the only thing to do to a child is to spank him and then he'll be quiet and settle down. Sure. Well, what you did with the oil was the same thing that happens in the Army in basic training. You're being told to dig a six by six. You've got somebody that comes in who's undisciplined 
and uh, after digging a couple of six by six holes in the ground, filling them up and having to dig them over again, why they get the message very quickly. That's something that's really been lost, you know, when they did away with the draft and uh, universal military training in this country, because a lot of kids who uh, arrived at 18 years of age or got out of high school who uh, had never been punished, uh, had no discipline. They went through that uh, basic training in the military and in a very short time, in eight weeks time, it totally changed them because I've seen it time and time again. Uh, the kids that I knew in high school who were just complete, uh, unruly, undisciplined individuals and uh, they were totally different people. I mean, after eight weeks of basic training, you'd meet them, you know, when we got out, and they were just totally different, very well-mannered, uh, courteous, uh, had direction and focus in their lives, and uh, just t completely turned around. Well, taking authority away from the teachers was the greatest evil ever inflicted upon the education yeah. system. I'm yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. What can you do to the kids? A lot of the uh, destruction of schools, too, if you talk to teachers who were teaching at the time, is when they took country schools, the one-room, two-room, three-room schoolhouses that had a limited number of students, and they combined them into these huge, huge facilities that had a thousand, two thousand schools because it'd be more efficient, and then they bust them. Then they put, every school had its own troublemaker, one or two. Now they brought them all together, and they and instantly they had discipline problems. As soon as they started combining small schools into larger schools, it's, well, it's inevitable. If you put enough troublemakers together, they're going to dominate the situation. You know what educators call schools today, by the way? Plants. <laughs> like a manufacturing plant. That's the way they see it. You know, you put them in one end and you get them out the other. Well, it's contagious. I use the word product instead of graduate. One of the very influential books of some years ago was a book by the psychiatrist Dr. Manninger. I believe the title was The Crime of Punishment. In that book, he wrote savagely uh, about the habit of punishing children, of punishing students the idea of punishment, which he described as basically barbaric, a reversion to savagery. Not too many years ago, he wrote another book without any sense of repentance for what he had written, and I believe the title was something like Whatever Happened to Sin. Exactly, yes. Now, the arrogance of that man. These two books, and the second book without a hint of any humility or any recognition of the religious foundations of the idea of sin. But this is what we face. These people claim to be wisdom incarnate. It was born with them and will die with them. And they have deflected the... Uh, population from their Christian heritage 
and are now busily reshaping it into a non-theological return to some kind of uh, idea of wrongdoing. Well, well, they've substituted the word viability, and they also use the word accountability, to be accountable, because you put people together in, in groups, let's say in corporations, or for that matter in nations. I mean, Churchill and Air Vice Marshal and Dr. Lindemann agreed on Lindemann's advice that the way to win World War II was to break the will of the German people. And they thought that the people who would be the most easily broken would be the working class. So if you bombed the working class sectors of the German cities, destroyed their homes, they wouldn't be able to work, the whole German war effort would collapse. And they bombed, of course, Dresden and other places where there was no military targets at all, terror bombing, which we later picked up in Iraq, which we did in Iraq. Mm -hmm. We told the people here that it was precision bombing, but it wasn't, it was terror bombing. And because that's our military policy today. And I think we went over this once before, that these people were punished for not for anything they'd done. These were civilians. Mm -hmm. Civilians didn't declare war. Civilians didn't send the Air Force over London. Mm -hmm. uh, these were women and children, which most men at most periods of history have always felt shouldn't be involved in this kind of thing. And uh, there was recently a statute we put up to Air Vice Marshal Harris, I believe his name is, I've forgotten now. And there were some protests about it. He was the only one, incidentally, that wasn't made a peer. Because there was a lot of people in England and elsewhere during World War II who felt that the war had gone off the track. Yes. It had ceased to have, it was not a good war. It was a war more horrible than I want to talk about. And that's now forgotten, Otto. It's as though it was from start to finish a righteous cause on our part. It was a horrible, horrible war. 36 million people yes. lost their lives and many more millions injured and all kinds of lives distorted. Well, all right, there was punishment then without a crime. And it's called war itself a crime. And we are running into this area where Christianity no longer sets bounds for behavior for the whole society. It's whatever seems uh, suitable to the goal. I mean, one fellow said, uh, if the end doesn't justify the means, what does? Uh, you get uh, the World News Digest, don't you, Otto? Not anymore, I don't think Oh. No. Well, in the recent issue, there was a very interesting account, and I had seen a note about it elsewhere. Dr. James Billingsley, the historian, now the uh, librarian of the Library of Congress, found that 
so many of the men working there, especially the PhDs, were stealing rare books on a wholesale basis. He barred them from the stacks. Sure. And the union now is working to have him ousted. I'm sure. Because their thesis is they have a right to those books. Well, not only have we abandoned the idea of punishment, but we are abandoning the idea that there can be a crime, that there is guilt. Well, libraries, uh, first the politicians are not funding them. The libraries in the United States in the first place were created by people like Carnegie and mm -hmm. J.P. Morgan and others. They were the ones who put up the money for these enormous libraries all across the country so that people could educate themselves. Yes. I'm a product of public libraries in very large measure. I've spent years of my life in them. But libraries today, they go to the library today to find the answer to quiz shows, mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to, to write a school paper, but not for the library themselves as a place to explore. The San Diego, uh, the uh, college in San Diego, California College in San Diego, still had open stacks, and I was amazed because I used to go out of there with suitcases and, and you know, had them on long-term assignments, marvelous. But most of the libraries today do not have open stacks. They have closed stacks. In, I understand in the Harvard Library, one of the best in the country, they have turnstiles, and uh, they have cameras because of the pilferage. So, where, why, on what terms do we punish today? What is the point? The real crimes, in my opinion, seem to be new crimes. Uh, defamation of a group, yes. which has now expanded to the point where any criticism whatever is considered defamatory. Mm -hmm. We have now sacred groups. And, of course, we have the uh, obscene groups, like the white middle-class males, you know. <laughs> yes. But these are crimes that are punished. Well, when you go down the list, uh, the, the uh, church has been undermined. Discipline in the schools has been undermined. We no longer have compulsory military service. So is it any wonder that kids don't grow up until they're 30 years old? They don't get married until they're 30s. They don't. They can't accept any responsibility uh, that marriage entails until they're 30. You know, we've got we've got a whole generation here of uh, perpetual adolescence. Well, the profile of maturity seems to be uh, vanished. I don't know when it vanished. But have you ever seen any any commentary on what is a mature person? The word now means old. Mm -hmm. After World War II, we had very quickly the development of a youth culture. Uh, there were a number of things that contributed to it. 
first those who married during the war years and immediately thereafter remembered the depression and they did not want their children to go through what they did mm -hmm. so they indulged him them they did not discipline them and by the end of the 50s uh, the image of what was desirable had so shifted that uh, Kennedy with his youthful image carefully cultivated by the media appealed to the voters and the shift was from Eisenhower as the father figure to Kennedy as the perpetual youth and uh, as a result of that the old standards of uh, discipline years of maturing of hard work as a necessary part of discipline all went by the board Oswald really missed the mark if he had shot Kennedy's barber instead of Kennedy we wouldn't have these two or three more generations of Kennedy clones that are in the Congress now all go to the same barber the same haircut the same image the same mm -hmm. style they go to the same tailor well it's an odd thing because <coughs> Nixon and Kennedy were about the same age mm -hmm. and uh, Kennedy got in by 0, 0 0.1 or something like that 120,000 votes out of all those millions and most of those stolen in Texas yeah. and Chicago and then suddenly he had a mandate mm -hmm. uh, when when Reagan had 49 states out of 50 they said he hasn't got a mandate <laughs> mm -hmm. so this propaganda and propaganda has become another punitive instrument it can reward and it can punish yes a bad press will ruin you so we have what I keep coming back to extra legal punishments in our society for for crimes that are not on the books yes and the crimes that are on the books very are increasingly going by the board. Very erratic. I've heard our county planning department recently took an aerial tour of the county. One of them made a comment that we've got to have more cluster development. That is, they'll have a street with homes, like a subdivision, mm -hmm. and not allow any more of these 20 or 40 acre parcels. Oh. The reasoning was we saw too many 20 and 40 acre parcels that had been come jumped up. So their answer was, her answer was, let's not allow any more development where people are allowed to own large parcels. Well, that's, my, our, that's our ruling class. That, and that's, yeah. that's our planning department in the county. About 25 years or so ago, my cousin, a uh, farmer, was on a uh, state commission and a planning director came and talked to them and the goal openly stated was to abolish uh, farm dwellings that the farmer was to live in town and go out to the farm each day to work that's a medieval pattern yes and uh, 
their objection to it, the farmer's objection, was the idea is ridiculous. For one thing, how are we going to get tractors and other heavy equipment out every day to the farm if you want a clean development in the country? But these people have no realization of anything except their plans. And they were going to punish the farmers by saying that uh, the farming areas are messy. Therefore, they have to be phased out as far as the family farm is concerned and live in town. That's what Ceausescu tried in Romania. Mm -hmm. He went out and bulldozed down all the farmhouses and got all the farmers to live in, in block houses, mm -hmm. and then they couldn't feed themselves. Well, that's a very good point, because what we are doing is that we're continuing the planned economy uh, motive with government as God that sent the whole Soviet area, the whole Soviet empire over the cliff. We're continuing with it. We haven't altered any of it since the downfall of or the dissolution or apparent dissolution of the Soviet empire. We haven't rolled back any of these regulations and we haven't stopped any of this trend. It's the arrogance of science. So it never happened. Uh, they figure that we can do it because we've got science and we've got technology and they were just backward over there. Well, these people grow up with these social studies. Mm -hmm. They grow up learning about some tribe somewhere who does something somewhere. So they figure if it works in a tribe somewhere on some other continent somewhere, isn't that why we study social science? Social studies, rather, is what's repeated the pattern here. They don't think of themselves as socialists, that's the Marxist oh, no. uh, pattern, but they've been grow growing up studying social science and how you control society and how you, you study society for the purpose of controlling attitudes. And these people, when they get on planning commissions and such, they come up with these ideas and they don't think twice about them. Somebody I know once told somebody on the county planning department, don't you understand how much power you have if you make people rich? and you make people poor by what your decisions are and what they can do with their property. I looked at him as though, you know, what are you talking about? This is our job to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. A simple decision of how, whether you can put a gas station on this corner or whether you can have a, a business zoning or commercial zoning can make the difference between a parcel, parcel being valuable or whether you can't even build on it. Well, of course, in areas like the East, let's say New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, older communities, you might say, than California, there's money that takes uh, exchange of money is involved. You have corruption that goes all the way down to the smallest clerk, and these decisions are, are weighted on who gets what, and sometimes who is who what race, what group, and uh, so forth, because groups accumulate political power, political position, and they use it. Th these, are, these are some of the American realities which are never written or discussed, but which every professional politician knows. One of the interesting things, I think, about the whole subject of punishment is that Karl Marx very early wrote that, uh, putting it in my terms, 
the idea of hell is an inescapable one. People need to know that there is a judgment. And he said, of course, we don't believe in the old biblical uh, idea of heaven and hell. We are going to create heaven on earth, and we need to create a hell on earth for those who will not bow down to our will, to our plan. So the whole idea of slave labor camps, concentration camps, was not something that came about under Stalin. Marx called for it. He felt there had to be a hell, a Marxist hell, so that people would know that there is a punishment for divergence from the requirement. Well, it's very interesting because you, you're bringing up really the divergence from Christianity into a Marxist heresy. <clears throat> the thing about the Christian faith, I believe, that has been pretty much lost to sight is that according to the Christian faith, we're all going to live forever. And this is just the first station. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to live forever, you have, you should have a different view of what's important and what's not important on this earth. And we're talking here as though, or let's say our society is now talking about punishment. First of all, it's talking dishonestly. It's not admitting the punishments that are actually applied, the social sanctions that are actually applied to people. The whole nation is being punished by its government, in my opinion, because we are slow in understanding that it is our duty to obey orders. Yes. And like Marx, Washington is busily creating its own version of hell for those who will not fall into line. Well, in another couple of years, at the most, when the effects of the Clean Air Act really take hold, there's going to be an awful lot of people who will realize what a noose we put around our own throats in the name of a nice environment. Mm -hmm. All kinds of little businesses are going to fold up. And people are going to go to prison. Yes. Just like the wetlands put some people in prison. Already a number. In the most preposterous kind of context, for example, the man who cleaned up what had been a junkyard area on his property was accused of tampering with a wetland and sent to prison. That's right. And although there were a lot of articles written about it, I noticed he wasn't released. No. no. And I noticed that the people who made the decisions to prosecute him have never been named. No. And the judge who applied the law was never named. We've got what amounts to practically an anonymous government. The press never gives us the names of the people who do this. Well, when the state is infallible, as it is increasingly in terms of Hegelian theory, and must be, you're not going to affix blame by saying, here is an individual who did it. The state did it. And the state is God walking on earth. 
Well, it's very interesting because God's rules are, are a marvel, of course. The punishment is always immediate. Mm-hmm. If you make a mistake, if you don't breathe for five minutes, you're dead. Uh, if, if, if you open your mouth at the bottom of the, of the swimming pool, that's the end. I mean, these are inexorable laws, and the punishment is immediate, and that's it. And if you punish, if you commit what amounts to intellectual crimes in a social sense, you, your society kills itself. Yes. And it's immediate. It isn't protracted. It isn't long range. We, uh, Mr. Bush, I understand, is surprised to discover that it looks like another recession is coming our way. I'm surprised that he's surprised. Well, if you do not believe in God, you will not believe that there is a fixity in the moral order, that the wages of sin are always death. One of the things that I uh, encountered in uh, doing the work that went into the uh, messianic character of American education was that we were more radical than the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union believed in a planned society. In other words, they believed that their plan was good and it had to be imposed willy-nilly. But our thinkers, our planners, did not believe in an overall plan that was always good. They affirmed instead a belief in a planning society, ad hoc thinking always, because there is no absolute good and evil, no right and wrong, and therefore in each situation you devise an ad hoc solution. Well, that's why uh, Washington, D.C. right now is distressed that another recession seems to be well on its way. And uh, the interest rates for new housing have come down again, but people are not planning to buy because it appears that a, a growing number of Americans are afraid that after the election in November they may well be out of a job. Well, there's a bunch of banks that are slated to, to go under and they're just keeping them going. At their, they're losing, I forget how many millions a day still on banks that are insolvent and they're just keeping that quiet until after the election. I mean, what's that going to do to consumer confidence when these banks go under yeah. right after the election? Well, that brings up the real uh, truth about punishment, and that is that misbehavior brings inevitable punishment. There isn't any way you can escape. And what we're witnessing in our entertainment and, and literature world and so forth, our fantasy world, you might say, created by our artists of various sorts, is that it has departed from reality. And it has convinced a great many people that their behavior has nothing to do with the consequences. 
Well, the political sphere in this country has become like that. They've exempted themselves from the laws and they live in their own fantasy world. That's true. And uh, therefore the government is in a fantasy which believes that it can survive no matter what it does. And you know that's a fantasy. Well, our time is virtually up. Is there a last statement or two that any of you would like to make on this subject? Yes, I think we should have some bumper stickers printed up that say Christianity is good for your mental health. Yeah. That's a good one. Yes. I like that. You might try that. You may get a few rocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, our time is nearly over. Thank you all for listening and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ Rules dot com